0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org slash sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. I wonder how many of us have had seasons in life in which it felt like every door in front of us was closed. Maybe you've had one of those seasons recently. Maybe it's been a little bit longer. Maybe you're in one now. You thought you were going to get that promotion. Door slammed shut. You thought that opportunity was going to open up. Door slammed shut. Relationships, home, home. All of these different areas in our lives, and and you're in that place, and it feels like every moment, everything you're passionate about, everything you care about, whatever it is, all the doors are closed, and you feel stuck. I can't get out. I can't get where I need to be. I can't get where I'm called to be. And if you've ever felt that way, you can probably sympathize to some degree with Paul. Because Paul is a guy who was driven by passion, and yet he went by seasons in his life where it felt like the doors were shut. Right before the passage we just read, you hear about one of those seasons for Paul. He's traveling around. He's out on his second missionary journey. They go to Phrygia and Galatia, but they're forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word there. They go to Mycenae and Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them to preach. So they pass by, they go to Troas. And each time, again and again, Paul, wanting to preach the Gospel, wanting to plant churches, knowing that he's called by God. I mean, after all, this is Damascus Road guy, isn't it? He's traveling and he's going to persecute the church, and Jesus takes hold of him and blinds him to open his eyes and then turns him into the first Missionary and one of the greatest theologians and church planners and pastors in the history of the church. And he's driven by a passion to make sure people who've never heard about Jesus come to hear about Jesus. He describes that passion in Romans 15. If you haven't heard this lately, I want to read it to you so you can get a sense of what drives Paul the Apostle. This is what he says in his own words. He says, I make it my ambition to proclaim the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named so that I don't build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who've never been told of him shall see and those who've never heard of him shall understand. And in that moment, Paul is communicating this driving passion in his life, this driving vocation, this sense of vocation that he has that he wants people who've never heard about Jesus to hear about Jesus. Jesus. He's interested in reaching the unreached. He's interested not in just naming Jesus again where he's already been named. That's great. The work is good. It's important. We got people doing that. But there are people out there who've never heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. They've never heard about his death. They've never heard about his resurrection. They've never heard about the way he reveals God to us. They've never discovered the beauty of his perfect love. They've never experienced the power of his grace. And Paul says, those are the people I want to find. Those are the people I want to discover and reach and bring them the good news of God's unfailing love, His extravagant mercy. And that guy is in a season where it feels like every time he thinks he's going to get to live into his passion, the door gets slammed in his face. Boom! Not there. Okay, what about here? Boom. Nope. All right, what about Bithynia? Surely Bithynia. (laughs) Boom. Uh Uh-uh. And then he's in a place called Troas. And while he's there, one night, he has a vision. And it's a guy. And the guy's saying, come. This is just before the passage we read. Acts 16, 9. Come to Macedonia and help us. And the first verse we read today together says this. We set sail and took a a straight course. And you get that sense where we're like, here's this guy, and all the doors are slammed shut, and finally, something opens up. There's a crack. There's, there's light. There's an opportunity, and he wastes no time. Like, we're getting on a boat, and there's no layover. We're not going to stop in in random other places on the way. One-way ticket, no stops right now. We set sail straight for Samothrace, then Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a leading city in the district of Macedonia. So you got Macedonia is kind of the county. Philippi's kind of the capital city or the county seat. So that's where they go. And they discover that the place is largely unreached. Luke, in writing Acts, emphasizes that it's a Roman colony. They've been to other Roman colonies, but... This is the first time the place is described that way. We don't hear about any Jewish presence. And these guys go in and they stay there a few days. And if they want to find some people who may actually sort of be inclined towards God, they got to go back outside the gate. And the implication is this is a seriously unreached place. The gospel has not gotten here. They don't know about Jesus. The word has not reached this city, which is exactly where the Apostle Paul wants to be. We're going to dig in more deeply to that in the next few minutes and we're going to see how there's 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 fruitfulness and there's energy and there's excitement and there's openness to the gospel and people are responding positively to that. But we're also going to see that there's resistance and there's frustration and, and, and there's conflict and the gospel conf- confronts some issues in the city and some hardness of heart. And I'm reading through this this week thinking about, like, what am I going to say about this? And just again and again, especially in the last couple of days, Last night and this morning, as I was kind of thinking, is there maybe a better way to come at this? And we just keep settling back on this one thing that emerges and emerges again because we see open hearts and hardened wills in this text. And the thing that the Lord wants us to hear from this is that if the Spirit of God opens your heart, don't harden your will. Like, bottom line, folks, we're going to see the Lord open hearts. And we're going to see people who could have had their hearts open, but they hardened them instead. And if you ask yourself whether I'm about to meet Jesus and I'm hearing the gospel for the first time, or whether maybe I've been walking with Him for a long time and He's calling me to take a next step, and I'm not sure I want to relinquish that to Him and let Him have control, you know what I'm talking about. You can walk with Jesus for 20 years and still be in a place where He wants to open your heart a little bit more, but you're tempted to harden your will against Him. We get these quick vignettes. It's like, here's one scene, here's one scene, here's one scene. Openness, hardness, openness. And I think we're being asked, what's our posture going to be? What's my posture going to be when the Spirit of God closes a door? Will I be open to trying to see things from His perspective, or will I harden my heart? Why didn't you let me walk through that door? What will my posture be when the Spirit calls me to do something hard? Something unpopular? And He does. Will I be open to that? Or will, he, or will I harden my heart? What if he calls me to say things truthfully that aren't going to win any brownie points? Let me clarify, not unkind and unloving, but truthful. Am I going to be open to the calling or am I going to harden my heart? Paul and Silas are open and they find that the lord through them opens others. They also find that some people get harder. So the story starts with a lady named Lydia. Paul's custom was to go into a city and find the synagogue. And he would go into the synagogue and when he got there he would assume, you know, the assumption is we've got some shared territory here. Because Paul is Jewish. And he was pretty intense at being Jewish. And he memorized chunks and chunks and chunks of Torah, our Old Testament. And he knew when he walked into the synagogue, they were going to be reading texts that he was standing on. And texts, he believed, pointed to Jesus. And it was kind of standard operating procedure for Paul and his team. We'll go into the synagogue. They'll be reading about Moses. We already know Moses points to Jesus. So we'll just connect the dots. And sometimes he's well-received and sometimes he's not well-received, depending on the crowd. But that was the standard operating procedure. As best we can tell in Philippi, there's no synagogue. Because they go in, they hang out for a few days, and then they have to go back outside the city to find anybody praying. In the ancient world, you had to have 10 people to start a synagogue. 10, that's it. So the implication here is, if you know the background is, you don't even have 10 people who read their Old Testament. You don't even have 10 people who are saying, maybe the creator God is the God who spoke through Moses and the prophets. Not even 10. In this very important city, a significant city that was deeply, deeply, deeply identified itself with the Roman Empire. Here I'm going to give you a technical term. It sounds like something you'd catch and you probably need to get vaccinated against, but this is what they actually call it in scholarship. They call it Romanitis. Sounds like something you need to go to the doctor for, doesn't it? Romanitis. But like like Philippi was a place where they had Romanitis. Like if Rome does it, we're going to do it. This is how, like, like we want to be like them. If they got a statue of the emperor, we're going to have a statue of the emperor. If they got a temple to This God, we're going to have a temple to this God. If they follow that law, we're going to follow that, like, copycat all day long, Romanitis. And so the picture we get here is, like, there is no common ground. There's no faithful present. Nobody's reading their Bible inside this city. So they get there, they take a look around, and they go back outside the gate trying to find anybody that might be even remotely open to hearing about the Jesus that Moses points to. So they go outside the city where they supposed, maybe they'd heard, yeah, yeah, there's some people they, they get out there. We don't know what they're doing. Maybe they're they're praying to somebody, some God. He so said, We went to this place where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. There, there, there weren't even any men. They speak to the women who'd gathered there. And there was one woman named Lydia, she's not Jewish. But she worshipped the Creator. She worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they sit down, and she listens. They talk about Jesus. They talk about the Gospel. She appears to be a rather prominent woman. Her profession, she's a dealer in purple cloth. And if you've ever watched the movies about the Roman Empire, who are the ones who wear purple? The rich people wear purple (laughs) because it was crazy expensive. You needed a certain dye that was very hard to get, and there's a process. And if you are a dealer in purple cloth, it's like Saks Fifth Avenue kinds of stuff, right? That's like you gotta be, like, they don't even let, they don't even let, like, normal people in those places, do they? So she's affluent. She apparently has a home big enough for Paul and his team to come and stay there. And she believes the gospel. And her response is, to them is, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. Now that was that's striking to me. I'm reading through this and, and I'm thinking, she doesn't say, if you found me to believe the gospel, does she? She says, if you found me to be faithful. And I wonder if that Gives us a sense or a clue about what Paul was after. And maybe that'll help us have a better sense of what we're supposed to be after. Because you don't have to be in church very long to find out it's really easy to believe in Jesus, but it's something else to follow him, isn't it? Now you might be thinking, hang on a second. What are you saying here, preacher? What I'm saying is, American Christianity has put a lot of emphasis on the decision. And I don't want to belittle that. Like if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus, and it's a decision that must be made. But we've put such a heavy emphasis on the decision. And I'm worried often that we forget the next day we forget that that decision has to be followed by next steps. Jesus said, believe the gospel, but follow me. He didn't walk up to random people on the seashore and say, hey, believe the gospel and I'll catch you later. He created a community. He created Space and fellowship and gatherings where people could be faithful. And when I go back and I look at the New Testament, right, yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but that salvation brings us into a place to the Lord Jesus Christ who expects fidelity, faithfulness. And so, like, the process here is. The Lord opens her heart and she commits herself to fidelity. It's crucial that she doesn't, like we need to see that the process isn't reversed. She doesn't just wake up this morning and say, you know, I think I'm going to give myself to Jesus today. No, the gospel comes first. There's divine initiative. Like nobody just out of their bright intellect and savviness becomes a Christian. That's what we mean when we talk about salvation by grace. The gospel comes first. She had never heard of Jesus. She only becomes faithful to him if somebody with the gospel shows up and tells her about it. And how much does that shape our sense of responsibility to one another? Right? If my heart's going to be open to the gospel If the Spirit's going to be at work, who's he working through? Because notice, like, the Spirit... I mean, think about it this way, right? Here's another scenario. The Spirit gives Paul a vision and says, go to to Macedonia. Like, cut out the middleman already. Why didn't he just give the vision to Lydia? Like, why take the extra time to get on the boat and travel? Like, like, what's the deal? Like, cut out the middleman... You're God already, just reveal yourself and save the woman for crying out loud. Why doesn't he do it that way? Why doesn't he do it that way? Because he wants you and me, like Paul, to be his means of grace in the lives of our family and friends, colleagues who are unreached. Jesus reaches, but he reaches through us. He reaches through his church. He reaches out through his body. People don't just fall into grace. They don't just like randomly stumble into salvation. It happens when faithful people take up the mantle of the vocation that God has given us and get passionate about it like Paul. who says, I'm going, and I'm going to keep going until the door opens. Spirit opens her heart. She offers her will, her fidelity, her faithfulness. Then we get a scene shift, don't we? We get into town. They run into these guys who have a slave girl. Slave girl is possessed. And the demon speaks through her. The demon speaks truth, as they often do in the Bible. These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaimed to you a way of salvation. That's true. That's what they're doing. <laughs> These guys uh, are using this young lady for income. Apparently, she can tell the future or predict things through the spirit that she has that, she, that she's possessed by. And Paul and Silas don't do anything about it immediately. Until they get annoyed, which makes me feel better about myself sometimes. (laughs) She's following them around, apparently day after day after day, shouting. Keep doing this for many days. She kept doing this for many days, day after day after day. These men are slaves of the most high God. They come to proclaim to you a way of salvation. And finally, Paul just kind of turns around and says, all right, enough already. Get out of here. And she's free. Now, did you notice this? Her owners have an opportunity here, don't they? They've heard the gospel proclaimed. They've heard truth. Like, surely they've noticed that their slave girl is declaring that God has shown up in these guys to proclaim a way of salvation. And when she gets saved, which is what happened here, like, she just got delivered from demonic oppression. What's their response? Is it, my heart is open, thanks be to God? Or is it, this is not good for my income stream. Like this little girl gets free and they're worried about (laughs) their paycheck. And you can just feel the hearts hardening, can't you? Don't you come around here messing with my job Don't you know the economy's a mess right now? Don't bring your Jesus around here and upset my business model. And so what do they do? They go to the judge, the magistrates. And they lie. These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews. And they're advocating customs that are not lawful to us as Romans to adopt or observe Judaism in the first century was a legit religion. The Roman Empire had said, this is is okay, it's not a problem, we don't love it, we'd rather you worship Zeus, but you know, hey, do your thing, keep to yourselves, pay your taxes, and leave us alone. And they're cool with that. But these guys... (laughs) They're not cool with it anymore. So they go in and they say these guys are they're breaking the law. They're advocating customs. Like, remember where we are. This is Philippi. We all got a bad case of Romanitis. And they are violating it. So what happens? Judge beats them real bad, throws them in jail. Innermost cell, innermost cell, feed in the stocks. And then we get a new scene. Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns around midnight. I don't know the last time you were singing a hymn around midnight, but maybe you should try it sometime. And there's an earthquake, and all of a sudden they're free. What would you do in that situation? You've already been beaten and falsely accused. What would you do in that situation? Say it out loud, Willie. Boogie out of town, he says. (laughs) I think everybody's feeling the same way, right? I'm gone, man. Jailbreak. This is the time. The jailer has the same assumption, doesn't he? And he knows if he waits till morning, the magistrates are going to put a sword in his chest. So he says, I'll save him the trouble. I'll do it myself. And then all of a sudden, Paul says, Hang on, dude. Wait. Don't hurt yourself. We're still here. Why? Because all of that punishment didn't harden Paul's heart. How easy it would have been to say, you've treated me unfairly. You've wounded me. My blood has been spilled unjustly because somebody lied to the judge. I'm out of here. How easy it would be to harden the heart. But what does he do? That's not why we're here, folks. That's not why we're here. We try to get to those other places. Galatia, Bithynia, like we try to get there. Jesus closed the door, he sent us here, and we're not leaving until they kick us out. You can beat us, you can throw us in prison, you can do whatever you want, but we are gospel people. They opened their hearts. And they offered service and care. And selfless love. Don't hurt yourself, man. Come on in. Let's talk. So he goes in. And their other-oriented love, their open hearts, their softened hearts, their kindness, does exactly what Jesus said it would do. It's the kindness of God that draws men to Him. It's the kindness of God that draws people to Jesus. And Paul says right there at midnight, in the middle of the prayer meeting in the prison, we're still here. And the first words out of that guy's mouth before he even puts the sword down, what do I have to do? Grace shows up first. And then the question, how can I offer him my trust? How can I offer him my fidelity? Your God is the real God. No questions asked. Because people don't act like this normally. They, to quote Willie, boogie on out of here. And he becomes a believer. People rejoice. His household rejoices. His household joins the movement with him. Listen to it again. I mean, just, just notice how the gospel is: the seed is there, and the, the roots are going out, and the plant is bearing fruit, and you got Lydia and the gals outside the gate. Now you got the jailer and his whole household. And in the ancient world, just remember the word household it isn't just like mom, dad, and the kids. It's mom, dad, the kids, the slaves. Like, the people who hang out, you know, the work. Like, it's like the households were very complicated. It, involved, it wasn't just the nuclear family. Like, all of a sudden, this gospel movement is reaching unreached people who the day before did not know Jesus. Why? Because Paul and Silas didn't harden their hearts, they opened. Because this guy, when he was thinking his, like, life is over, hears the gospel and opens his heart to the gospel. And he opens his heart, and his wife and his children get baptized. It's remarkable. Stunning. I mean, this is how the gospel goes forth. This is how the kingdom spreads. This is how the church grows. Not by accident. Not by like, oh, maybe they'll show up today. Intentional, dangerous, courageous declaration of the kingdom of God and the beauty of Jesus. That's how it works. He brought them to his house, the apostles, he put put food before them, and he and his entire household, who had just been baptized, rejoiced that he became a believer in God. That sentence struck me, by the way, because you expected to say they rejoiced that they'd all become believers in God. This is one of those places where our very modern individualistic kind of perception makes it... Like, makes the Bible a little bit hard to understand. Apparently, this guy's fidelity bears a relationship to the people who are under his care. Dads, and moms. Like, what does my faithfulness do for my children? They know whether or not I take Jesus seriously don't they? They know whether or not he's my God or something else is. And when it's all said and done, will they rejoice in my belief? Which had a formative impact and consequential effect on their relationship with Jesus. Again, the emphasis is It's not like we're all just isolated individuals waiting for the Holy Spirit to do his, like, shazam thing on us. Jesus works through people. The Spirit works through people. Parents, friends, colleagues, like acquaintances. Who's going to be working in your house this week? Is Jesus wanting to work through you? Who's not going to hear the gospel this week because we're not paying attention? So questions arise for me on this. First question is, what energizes me? Like, what drives me? Am I driven by this passion to make sure people hear the good news to the same degree that, like, if somebody was literally taking the skin off my back, I would still be going forward in the mission? Like, I generally think of myself as a fairly passionate, energetic person. I got questions when I read this text. Like, this is serious stuff, isn't it? Are we that committed? Like, if we take all the frills and comforts away, are we willing to plant churches in places where the gospel has not been yet heard? Because, brothers and sisters, that is hard and dangerous work. It is hard and dangerous work. But Jesus sent Paul, and through the ministry of Paul, Jesus opened the hearts of those who had never heard and brought them into the kingdom of God. And when I'm dead, may it be that God can say that of me and the churches that I've led. Forget everything else. Forget the books, Stan. Those things are important, I believe. But at the end of the day, are we a people who are driven by this kind of passion and sense of vocation to make sure the work gets done? And what do we have to rearrange to make that happen? (laughs) Like, chances are my weekly schedule is probably going to need to look a little bit different if I want my life to be governed in this way by the passions of God for the unreached. Maybe some things are going to have to change. Maybe some priorities, some preferences. And there's no neutrality, is there? I mean, we don't get anybody who's kind of like, you know, eh, one way or the other, it's all okay, it's good. Jesus, take him or leave him. And even that's not neutrality, is it? Like the people who open their hearts to the Lord receive His grace and His kindness and His love and His beauty. And those who harden their hearts against the oppressed and the possessed just get further from Jesus. Our culture tells us you got to be neutral with regard to Jesus. Like He's fine, do that in your church, but don't bring Him over here. But there's no such, like, neutrality, friends, is a myth. There's no such thing. As we say in the South, you're either for him or against him. Amen? Paul knows there's no neutrality. That's why he doesn't let those magistrates get off clean. He's Like, don't pretend you're not responsible. Don't pretend you're like, oh, yeah, just... take responsibility for whether you advance the gospel or hinder it. And we can talk about this in a couple of ways, can't we? Like there may be people in the room whose hearts need to be opened. Right? There are people in our lives whose hearts need to be opened. Some of us may be those people where we need Jesus to like do this opening thing. And maybe we're tempted to say, you know, (laughs) I don't know about that. I've got plans and opportunities, and I'm hardening my heart. Again, what kind of people people do we want to be? Do we want to be the kind of people like Lydia, or the kind of people like those slave owners who didn't give a rip that that little girl got free. They were just worried about their cash flow. But you might ask, like, what do I do? Like, I I, want to open my heart to Jesus, but I don't know how. Well, the good news is, if you want to open your heart to Jesus, it means he's already at work. Because you're not creative (laughs) enough to do that on your own. And the one word that he requires is surrender. I surrender Fidelity. If that's where you are today, don't leave without offering him your fidelity. On the other side of things, the question becomes like, we've been following Jesus like we believe in him, we follow him, we're with him, like what's next? Like how do, like I don't know Unreached people really. I want to challenge you. We're going to sing in just a minute. And as we're singing and as we're kind of wrapping things up and as you go home today and as you're praying, just ask the Lord Jesus Christ. Begin with prayer. Spirit of God, who are the unreached people in my life that you want to reach through me? And I guarantee you, if you pray that prayer, faithfully not just today, not just tomorrow, but faithfully. At some point, the Spirit of God will put a name on your heart. You may feel like the doors are closed initially. I mean, Paul felt that way. But at some point, you may not have a vision in the night from somebody in another town saying, come on down. But at some point, some way, the Spirit of God, if you seek Him, will put a name on your heart. And when He does, you have a vocation. And there's different ways you could go about that. You could come at him with a speech. You could come at them with a tract. You could try to sweet-talk them into the kingdom. Chances are you've seen that sort of thing before. My question, my, my encouragement would be to say, Find a way to listen. Grab a coffee or lunch and just start by listening. What's your story? What's your favorite? How's that hurt going? And don't listen because you're trying to like close the deal. (laughs) Listen because they're made in the image of God and you care. And I guarantee you, if you start that way, Right? not with a speech not with four spiritual laws those things are fine but like just just hear what i'm saying it's not a sales pitch it's a relationship <laughs> and then find a way to serve and tell the story it'll happen Naturally, if you find yourself caring about someone. I was talking with a guy one time. Went to visit a friend who was dying. He cared. You can imagine how that conversation goes. The sympathy, the sorrow, the pain. But there was one burning question. Where are you with Jesus? Jesus. Your heart open. And that friend met the Lord. And I was reminded, I hear that story, that testimony, how badly, how deeply Jesus desires to work through his body, us. So my question is, will you start this week asking Jesus who? Who? And then just care. And you'll find opportunities for open hearts to the gospel that you've never seen them before. Promise.